Okay, now it's a half hour in. As this recording begins, you're going to avoid it. You miss out on good stuff. Find someone who was in class and ask them. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, we're now going to start over. Yeah. Okay. Verse, section 111, verse 1. This comes two days after they've arrived. I, the Lord your God, am not displeased with your coming, um, with your coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. Okay, now. Now, let me ask you, because I want you to make a differentiation in your mind for just a second. First of all, how would you define a sin? What's a sin? It's a breaking, willfully breaking a commandment. That, that makes sense? Okay. What's a transgression? Accidentally breaking. Sort of. <laughs> a commandment got broken. But it, it was broken with? Without knowledge. Or much less light. Or just reduced light and knowledge. That's why what Eve did in the Garden of Eden and Adam was transgression, not a sin. You don't have as much light and knowledge. But a commandment is broken. Don't you do. Remember C.S. Lewis, the whole basis of mere Christianity was man knows what to do and he doesn't do it. So, a sin is a willful breaking of a commandment. A transgression is a, a commandment is broken with much less light and knowledge and understanding. That makes sense? So what would you think a folly would be? It's not a sin. It's not a sin, it's just something dumb. It is something dumb. Okay, now, I want you because I want to I want you to see what's happened here. And then you're gonna go, oh man, I do that all the time. Okay? Uh, look at verse five. Concern yourself not uh, concern not yourself about your debts, for I will give you the power to pay them. Okay. Now, for just a second, you don't have to. If you want to, you, you can. But I've got this. I've got this cross reference with section one hundred four, where the Lord said. Inasmuch as you are diligent and humble and exercise the prayer of faith, I will soften the hearts of those to whom you are in debt until I shall send means to you for your deliverance. Therefore, write speedily to New York and write according to that which will be dictated by my spirit and I will soften the hearts of those to whom you are in debt that it will be taken away out of their minds to bring affliction upon you. Insomuch as you are humble and faithful, and call upon my name, behold, I will give you the victory. Okay? Let me handle this. Let me, if you will ask in prayer, I will give you what is to be said to the people in New York. They will understand. I will soften their heart. Don't worry about your debt. section 111 happens to us all the time. I think they heard about the gold, they prayed, should we go to Boston? They get the answer, yes, you should go to Boston. 
So they think they're going to Boston for the gold, but that's not why they're supposed to go to Boston. And I think in my life there have been times when I've prayed, should I do something and get the answer yes? So I jumped to the conclusion of why I should be doing it when the Lord has a completely different reason. Completely different reason. Okay. I think that's true. Okay. Now, so now let's go back here though. Verse 5, two days after they arrive in Salem, concern not yourself about your debts, for I will give you the power to pay them. So let me come back here to verse 1. I am not displeased with your coming this journey, notwithstanding your follies. What's a folly? We have transgressions, we have sins, now we have a fall. What's a fall? Bad judgment according to what? What makes a bad judgment? Misunderstanding. Of what? It's a misunderstanding of? Revelation. Could be. Could be we've not listened, not heard it. You're leaning on your own arm, the arm of man. Instead of? That's a fall. Uh, a folly is when you're going to, instead of trusting the Lord, you're going to go on your own power no matter how well meaning and well-intentioned. Did they go to Boston to get rich? Or did they go to Salem to get rich? No. They went to get the gold for the purpose of paying off the temple. It's a well-intentioned reason that they went. Was it what the Lord wanted them to do? No. He said, I don't worry about your debt. He told them previously, I'll take care of it. Don't sweat it. And they did it anyway. So a folly is, no matter how well intentioned, when we do our own thing rather than what the Lord wants us to do. That's a folly. Also, God could have put gold under that house. Couldn't have. Because he put fish on one side and broke it up. He certainly had the ability to put gold in that basement. If, he, if that's really how he was going to want to do that. Okay? Yeah. Why wouldn't Joseph have thought, well, if there is gold in the basement, it belongs to somebody, not me. I mean, that would be my first thought. Well, I can't just go help myself. You, you have to remember that at, at, at the times, the, the, the way that those times worked, when, when uh, the Smiths, were in danger of losing their house because they decided to do a house improvement rather than make a mortgage payment that they needed to. It was another folly. And that's why they ended up losing the Smith Farm or losing control of the Smith Farm. That's when Dad went on a uh, go find some gold tear. And that's when Joseph got involved in money digging because they would go around. Because a lot the, the idea was is that there was buried money and stuff like that and it was always found money. And, and you, you had ready access to it and no, it didn't belong really to anybody and if you found it, it was yours. That was kind of the time that they lived in. And I have written in my notes that whoever owned the house had died. Yeah. So, no so, uh, so they left and that's what this guy was kind of saying. That there was unclaimed money that really, that if they got it, it would be theirs. Well, I know, but if he knew about it, why didn't he take it? The person saying Probably it. Probably did. Yeah, you kind of have access. That's right. There's some holes in the story. Yeah. <laughs> So there's not a bad thing, not a bad sin or 
Okay, you're, you're going there. In other words, a falling has occurred. Now watch what the Lord does with this, because He's going to consecrate the falling. The problem is, He already told them that. And they weren't listening. So that's what I'm saying. Part of the, the, the real, to me, what a folly is, is that no matter how well intentioned, I'm going to do my thing according to what I think is best, rather than go what the Lord may have told me to do or, or go more out of my way to listen to Him, even if it goes contrary to what I think is smart. But they may have believed that the goal was the answer to the... They, they, exactly. The first one, the first um, revelation is not saying, by the way, it's not under a house in Boston. Yeah. Right. Says, I will yeah, Peter said exactly. I will pay the debt and don't go to Salem, even if someone says there's gold there. Yes, it doesn't say that. But in their mind, that in that in their mind, it makes sense. And I think that's how Satan traps us sometimes. He does. God says, "I will, I will help you with this in time." And then Satan pops up with this grand adventure, as my father used to call it. Yeah. But we're on a grand adventure now, and. But, but the amazing thing is, is how often these grand adventures are really well-intentioned. Yeah. This wasn't like they were just like trying to like gold speculate. It was really well-intentioned. Well, also you think that in the New Testament where the Savior, and I think Peter, needed to pay a tax. Yeah, and go catch a fish. Okay, so, so let me ask you this. I was actually thinking about this as I was kind of peddling away this morning at the gym. Um, are there times in our life when we get caught up in faults where, from a very well-intentioned standpoint, we're going to make decisions and do them for all the right reasons, but it's maybe contrary to what the path of the Lord had intended for us. But at the time, we could, we could justify it. I call it investments. <laughs> it might be investments in terms of this will be a way out to do this. I, I, I think that could happen. Or, yeah, a business, yeah. You know, we're sitting here thinking about how we would react. In those days, they saw visions that We're on, a, we're on the Lord's errand, and this looks like a miracle. And the answer to our prayer is the gold, rather than going back to what the Lord had said, which is, I will take care of this. This is a little more spectacular. Yeah. To me, myself, you know, it's hard to travel back then. To me, it's an exercise of communication oh. Think about what it took to get them up to Salem, all these guys in a very poor church. Think about what you're just saying about the investments. That maybe what you said, this will be the way for us to go on missions, or this will be the way to cover kids' missions, or something. Uh, I'm actually going to start this little business, or whatever, and I'm going to invest my money here, and it's only Thursday night, part-time stuff. Okay? And I'm going to do this. And, and then we get time and energy and, and pride and... And then we're going to have to say, you know what, I really, 
I really wasn't listening that closely to the Lord because my brain said this will work. Where this, where the stone got some corners knocked out. I mention those times if I have to hear it. I I go, okay, big chip. Getting knocked off? Okay, so I want you to notice, and I've got it kind of at the top here. I want you to notice what the Lord does to consecrate this folly. Did good things come out of this trip? Yes. This was not a complete total loss, but the Lord said it's a folly. And the Lord told them how to solve this. They shouldn't have been in Salem. But the Lord will take those well-intentioned actions and He will bless them and good comes out of this. The Lord consecrates our fall. Yes. He has a backup plan. Exactly. And watch what the Lord does because He loves us. And what he's going to say, rather than beat them down because of their follies, he's looking on their hearts, their hearts are in the right place, he will now consecrate their follies, brothers and sisters, the way he consecrates your follies. For all of the times when you look at your job as a parenting and you go, and if you preface something by, I really shouldn't do this, but, or I really wish I hadn't said this, but, those are follies. And watch how the Lord consecrates your efforts. Because if our kids were only going to be, like really good kids, we're only going to be raised by perfect parents. Even kids within the church would be toast. But the Lord consecrates our efforts and our follies. He makes up the difference. Yeah. They do it. They do count. Efforts count is a really good way to say it. Listen to the directions that come here. Verse 8. And the place, ter, number 7, tarry in this place. Don't turn around and leave. You're here. Let me, let me consecrate your effort. Let me teach you some things while you're here. Tarry. They tarry. They, they were in Salem. They went to uh, uh, Boston. They went to some areas round about. They went to Bunker Hill. Uh, and the place where it is my will that you should tarry for the main shall be signaled unto you by the peace and power that flow of uh, my spirit that shall flow into you. I will lead you on kind of a sightseeing tour because I want to teach you something. And I think one of the biggest lessons that came out of it, there were several lessons. Uh, one was the fact that they... Uh, I don't want to see that for a second. 
One of the things that happened while they were there is that the newspapers locally found that Joseph Smith, the Mormon prophet, was in town. They got generally positive press from Joseph's presence in there. They had a chance to meet a number of people. So they actually did some groundwork that when the first missionaries really showed up in mass in 1841, uh, the missionary work went really well, and within like six months they had a hundred member uh, branch in Boston. So it worked. So they did some groundwork, so some good stuff came out of there. But specifically, it is interesting that what happens here is verse 9. This place you, you shall obtain by hire. Inquire diligently concerning the more ancient inhabitants and founders of this city. Who founded Salem? Richard did not found Salem. But it's funny how that's why in there. Okay? We read the crucible. We know what went on there. Who founded Salem? Some Joseph's ancestors were there. The Puritans. Thank you. The Puritans founded Salem. Why were the Puritans there? Religious freedom. What were the Puritans focused on creating? New Jerusalem. And, and uh, John Winthrop uh, talks about the fact that they were there to create a new Jerusalem, to be a light on it, to be a city set on a hill, and to be this wonderful, and, and to try and do everything possible to bring the second coming and be the new Jerusalem. Sound familiar? They did pretty good. They did really good. They did really good. Now, where, where did they struggle? <laughs> there are two books that come out of Salem, both of which written with with uh, with a goal in mind. Okay, one is the Crucible. The Crucible was about how mean the Puritans were and stuff like that. This was actually written at the time of the uh, the uh, McCarthy hearings trying to talk about what happens when you're going to single people out. And the other one? The Scarlet Letter. Written by a man who was very anti-religious and was trying to distance himself from his roots. Daniel Hawthorne. Okay? I find it fascinating that you have a group who wants to create a new Jerusalem, a group who wants to help bring the second coming and have a Satan attack them. Yeah. Now, hold on to that idea. Because here's the other thing that they did. And it's recorded that they went to the... We actually have... Uh, this, this revelation, I think, comes in the first week of August. Uh, on August 9th, Joseph... There's still in the records, Joseph went to a museum where he's learning about this. And then all of the brethren will end up going to a convent that was burned down two years previously... Because there was some belief uh, in Salem, even at that moment, that nuns were being held against their will. It's a Catholic uh, convent in the middle of Puritan Salem. 
So you have these non-members in the midst, and they and they burn the convent down. And all of the brethren will go and tour this convent. Okay? What lesson do you think they're learning? If we are also going to create a new Jerusalem. Yes. Don't persecute the non-members in your midst. A Zion society will be very loving and extend a loving hand to those not of our faith in our midst. And I, it's my own belief that if they learn nothing else, as they kept trying to create a, a new Jerusalems, whether it was in Nauvoo or Far West or Salt Lake City, how will you treat the non-members in your midst if you are a Zion society? You're going to keep beating on them to try and convert them or just love them and allow them and embrace their faith because we're not the only true church on the face of the earth. We are the only complete church on the face of the earth and other churches have a lot of truth in them. Cindy and I were up in uh, in Nauvoo uh, just a, a week after uh, Thanksgiving, and we were there for the uh, Messiah sing-along, and had a wonderful experience there. And it's in, and they had they had a series of the, the souls that are part of the Messiah. Some were, one was like a sister missionary, and one was somebody else, and and a couple were non-members from Carthage. And we were all singing together with the, the non-members of Carthage who probably had family that went back to, to persecuting the saints. And there they were. And so the, you just kind of watch this loving thing going on. And I think that was the message. That if they walked out of Salem after a month and went home, the one thing that really would have come home to them is how will you treat the non-members of the saints? And I think that's one of the ways that the Lord consecrated their followers. They learned does that make sense? There, there's another couple of things that I think are, are wonderful here. Um, I wish we had more time to go on them. Um, which we could spend all day on verse 8. Uh, the place where you are is signaled by the peace and power of my spirit that will flow unto you. If you're not sure where you are, where you're supposed to be, that peace and power. Contemplate what peace and power is. Or what peace is, but peace with power. That there's a power to peace. That peace is not me. Okay? Yeah. What does it mean in verse 11, be wise as serpents? They were having to be careful, I think, uh, as they were because they were breaking ground. They were out visit. They, they did visit with a number of prominent people while they were there. It's another way their follies were consecrated. What, what, what's that saying? 
To, to be wise as serpents? Yes. What's it mean to be as wise as serpents? Coiled The power is there, but you're not striking out? I like that. The image of a wise as a serpent has always been rather than attack directly, it's going to be more of a sideward kind of thing. It's a, it's a much more subtle. The serpent was more subtle than any of the other beasts, and it's a very subtle, gentle kind of thing, rather than a direct assault. Okay? Alright. That's it. So But wait, there's more, because we have one more we have more one more folly to talk about. And that's the Kirkland Safety Society. When they get back in the fall of that year, they get back in September 1836, uh, they're still worried about the debt. Um, and, and it's suggested in the fall of 1836 that maybe one of the ways to take care of the debt is to create a bank. We're going to put our money, well, we can put a bank together and the bank will... Okay, so, so the decision is made by a number of the brethren to create a bank. Uh, and they're going to need two things for the bank. One, they need permission from the legislature. Uh, and uh, I can't remember who goes to do that. Oliver Calvary goes off to Philadelphia to get the plates to create money for the bank. So they can actually print their own money for the bank. The Curtain Bank. Uh, there was a lot of banking going on at that time. Um, so the bank is proposed in 1836. There is a, a couple of very non hostile non-Mormons in the legislature who fight against the idea of the Mormons having a bank. Uh, and he will talk to the other members of the banking committee into not granting... Uh, the Mormons in Kirtland banking authority. He will get back into Kirtland on January 2nd. At the same time as Oliver Calvary shows up in Kirtland with the beautiful new plates for the bank to print money for the brand new Kirtland Bank. So now what do we do? We don't have permission. We've got the plates. We can print it. Um... And what they will decide to do is they form an anti-bank. In fact, let me do this. I was going to do... I want, to see the, I want you to see this in order. I don't know if you can see that. This is a... This is a talk about phony as a $3 bill? Not curtain. Although I do find it interesting that the three most... Some of the three most prominent names that we have in church history are really ironic. One is the Kirtland Safety Society, which wasn't. 
the United Order, which never was, and the Liberty Jail, which was anything but. <laughs> Kirtland Safety Society. This is a $3 bill, the Kirtland Safety Society Bank, for $3. You can see Joseph Smith's signature, although we're not sure if that really was his or one of the secretaries that were signing it, and Sidney Rigdon's. Okay? So, what do we do? We have the plates to be able to print the money, but we now can't be a bank, so we will be a anti-bank. And if you'll notice, see the word bank? What do you see? Anti-banking. All they did is just add some little things to the plate. This is the anti-banking. Okay? Difference between a bank and an anti-bank. An a, a bank, think about the difference between a bank and a savings and loan. A bank is based on the amount of deposits and stuff that you have backed up by gold. An anti-bank is, is the, the assets are backed up by land. Okay, that, that was the difference. Okay, now. Sort of, except that there, there, are, more, um, there are more things in place. Uh, if you want to see what happens with an anti-bank, remember your favorite Christmas movie, It's a wonderful life, and they're getting ready to leave town. Remember the taxi driver goes, I've never seen you run on the bank, but that kind of looks like it. And there are people like gathered outside the old scenes alone. That was a run. And it was based on the fact that the savings and loan was running off the, the property value of the people, of the houses and things that he was built. They didn't have the money if there's a run on the bank. Because it's invested in all the other properties. Isn't there something in the Constitution, though, about printing your own money? Well, th there had to be more rules about printing your own money. You know, only the federal government can, like, print up a trillion dollars. And, and just, we won't even get into that one. Okay? But uh, what happens with this is the anti-bank was formed uh, January, 20, or January 2nd. Still might have worked except for two little glitches that made this a folly. Number one was the fact that it was capitalized instead of kind of trying to be realistic, they did it for like ten million dollars. Based on the idea that number two, uh, it's hard every time they tried to create a Zion society back then, land speculators would buy up land and then lovingly be willing to sell it to their fellow saints at three times the cost, which is what they were doing in Kirtland, it's what they did in in uh, independence is what they did in Far West. And they always ran up the price. And so land ended up being way overpriced. We understand a little bit about what happens when that happens. <coughs> California. Way, way over the top. And it was happening, the land speculation was happening all over Ohio and Pennsylvania. It wasn't limited to Kirtland. So it was, it was based on overheated property. And now there's no way this bank can pull it, can can pull this off. So everything they're vastly overspeculated. There's widespread land speculation. 
at the same time, Andrew Jackson's policies of hard money were kicking in, and he was going to have the, the gold standard. So he's trying to say you can only lend out as much as you have gold for, and really trying to put the kibosh on that. And what you got was the Great Bank Panic of 1837. And uh, of like 500 banks around, in and around Ohio, uh, or 700 banks, 500 of them failed. There were banks failing all over the place because of all the speculation that had happened. Andrew Jackson's policies had started, it's called the hard money policy. He was, it was a hard hanging on to the, the gold standard uh, and then some real restrictive banking without going into too much. It wasn't his fault, it was the economy at the time's fault. He just tried to straighten it out. Yeah, well again, through in the Western Reserve, this area of Pennsylvania that had been reserved for if Pennsylvania wanted to expand into Ohio and stuff like that, there's a lot of just rampant speculation. Okay. Um, jo at the same time, Joseph Smith is discovering that the bank president had embe embezzled $25,000. So whatever cash reserves they had, the bank president takes off. Okay, now, by the way, let me, can I just throw out one? We talk about, and, and then by the way, the, uh, the bank fails in November of 1837. Yeah, but they, they get swapped out a lot. Joseph was never the president of the bank. In fact, he was the one that suggested, it was his opinion that they should never switch to the anti-bank. And, and, but when they did, they said, oh, I'll at least be the cashier. I'll be somehow involved. If, if all of this is going to fall on his shoulders. They're going to blame him. Okay? But I do want you, I want, do want to throw out one thing. This is one area where the Lord consecrates our followers and sees what's coming. And just, just so that you get to see this. This is the, the great banks swim the panic of 1837. All the banks are failing. A lot of banks in New York are failing. There's just this widespread banking disaster that's going on. Now, if you've got money in 1837, you want to put it somewhere where you can get a decent investment, right? And obviously, you're not wanting to put it in banks, and you don't want to put it in... In some of this land in Ohio and Pennsylvania, people are losing money right and left. There was an investor in New York with a lot of money trying to figure out where do I invest my money? And he said, it ain't in Ohio and it's not in Pennsylvania. I think what I'll do is I'll take my money farther west. And he will take that money and he will find a little bend in the river in Illinois. And he will buy up hundreds of acres on this bend in the river. And because this is where this is now going to make great money, what's he going to call it? Commerce. He'll call it commerce. And, in, and he will hold on to it for about 18 months. And when it's time for him, and he's not making any money on this little bend in the Mississippi, nobody's there. Here will come this little obscure religious sect that's streaming out of Missouri because they have nowhere else to live. And he's willing to give it to the, this little religious sect and he will give it for no, no money down, pennies on the dollar, and they can make long-term payments to him. So they'll have, a long, they'll have a place to stick their people on that property because he wasn't making any money on it anyway. He, was, he could have lost it in the Great Bank Panic. 
And this little religious sect will put their people on there and change the name from commerce to Nauru. So one of, the, one of the consecrations of this folly was the fact that the Lord saw it coming and created a place that the saints would need about 18 months later as a place of refuge there on the bend of the Mississippi for about seven years to catch their breath before going on. Okay. All right. Well, that said. Now, now what's about to happen here, though, if you're the saints in 1837 and the bank just failed, what do you think is now going on in Kirtland a mere 18 months after all of the things that have happened in the Kirtland Temple? This, is, this becomes the apostasy of 1837 uh, When I was at BYU, uh, I was... I, I, had, I was taking a class from uh, Brother Backman at that time, the uh, kind of the church's authority on Ohio, Brother Backman. And I, and I was in his office, and he's showing me the records, and he's going through and he's trying to track down who apostatized and who didn't. Who met, by, did, where were they in 1837, by 1839? Did they stay in Kirtland? Did they go to Missouri? Where did they go? And part of what he said was is that uh, what happened in in the aftermath of the Kirtland Safety Society, 1837, was the fact that uh, the apostasy was 50% of the 12 apostles. And I want you to think in terms of, the, of, of our church today. 50% of the 12. Two-thirds of the First Presidency. Two-thirds of the three ministers. How devastating was that but apparently it was not as widespread among most of the men that they were able to hang on. Okay. Just an incredible blow to the church. And so now we get, out of all of the wonderfulness that was... Um, that's not what I want. I want this one. <coughs> On January 12, 1838, they will, a, a warrant will be issued for Joseph's arrest for uh, banking things. It will all fall on his shoulders. Uh, he will then flee Kirtland permanently in, that, in January and head for far west. He and Sydney. And the, they have to sneak the family out of town under the cover of darkness. Uh, they will meet downriver. They'll get a chance to grab the family and get out. So a lot of history. You need to get kind of get this history to see what it is that we're looking at here. Okay. Um, by the way, because we're probably not going to get to it, but let me, let me just mention one of the brethren that will apostatize briefly is uh, the uh, second in, in seniority in the Quorum of the Twelve, David W. Patton. Who will, who will be so distraught by the loss of his money in the Curtin Safety Society that he will go to Joseph's house, scream and yell at Joseph. Joseph will then punch him out and throw him out of the house. Imagine the prophet punching out one of the apostles. Yeah, and he was out of the Okay, well, ain't a problem. 
what will happen with that is that Brother Patton, uh, shortly after that, in horror, will repent of what he did, come back, plead for Joseph's uh, forgiveness, and then he will say, I hope as a consequence of my actions that maybe someday I get to be a martyr for the church. And Brother Joseph's response to that was, oh, David, you don't know what you're asking. When a man of your faith asks for that, the Lord generally and, and we know that in Missouri, David W. Patton became really kind of the first martyr of the, this church when he was killed at the Battle of Fishing. And Joseph's response to that was, he did exactly what he said he would do. Most of the brethren repented as a result of this, but this widespread panic was part. Party uh, uh, Pratt was caught up in it, so it was Horse and Hyde, uh, Oliver Calvary. It was, it was pretty good. Okay, so on top of that then, let's now look at Let's go to section 112. Because section 112 now comes right at the height then of the bank is failing. Hasn't quite failed yet. If you look at it, the date is uh, actually July 23rd. But by then the panic is in full gear. started on May in May. Uh, and in the middle of all of this, Joseph is going to go on another mission. He'll go up to Upper Canada, which I'm really grateful for because that's where the Hinkley's were. We're in Upper Canada. Um, and we'd only been in the church a year. Johnny Page found us a year earlier. Um, President Hinkley's uh, great-grandfather. Um Verily thus saith the Lord unto my service, Thomas Marsh. I have heard thy prayers and thine alms have come up as a memorial before me and in, in behalf of those thy brethren who were chosen to bear testimony of my name and descended abroad among all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people. What else is going on here? If you look in the heading, there's something significant that's happening on this day. In July, 1837. Yeah. The gospel's being now, first day it's being preached in England. Okay. I find it fascinating as a side note, by the way, that with all the panic going on in, in Ohio, the Lord has a group of saints sitting in Missouri that aren't going to be affected by this. And then he's going to go out to England and start bringing saints in there. And even now we struggle with the idea that money is safety. So that's why we're trying to do this and take away the safety. And think about what times when you've gone through really hard times financially, you don't feel safe. And it's hard to trust. Yeah. 
But but that but our folly our folly is often this that we want to trust the money, right? And the Lord is saying, I will take care of you. some direction here and and listen and, and listen to what he's being told verse 10 be thou humble and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the hand and give thee answers to thy prayers and then 12 and pray for thy brethren of the 12 admonish them what sharply for my name's sake let them be admonished for all their sins and be Ye thankful before me unto my name. So here's the challenge. For these twelve, do you have a testimony or not? Do you believe that Joseph is a prophet or not? And I think we go through those periods, don't we? Do I have a testimony or not? Do I really believe? Or when I get to tougher times, is it harder to trust? Is it harder to believe? Do I really believe this? Or am I going to what do I do? Now, let, let me put this against the backdrop of uh, the possible decisions coming in the next week. There, there are some possibilities here, brothers and sisters, that, are, that I think are going to be very fascinating to watch, and we need to watch closely what's about to happen here. Boy Scouts of America is about to vote on Wednesday. They're not to allow gays into the organization or to allow local organizations to decide. I quite frankly have no idea what's going to happen here. I don't. There's a lot of things that I can see. I think, and, I, and don't assume you know what the, what the choices are going to be here because you don't. President, uh, one of the advantages of having the young men's presidency here, no question, President. Monson is a voting member of Boy Scouts of America and, will, and has a vote. Yes, he's, he is lobbying for the fact that they don't make this move. But, might they anyway? Don't assume you automatically know what the church is. Because we are set up really to go both directions. If the church decided to stay in Boy Scouts of America... We could do that and allow other organizations to do that and we've done an incredible amount of outreach to the gay community. That's a possibility. We are also now set up with a new youth program that if we wanted to develop our own program and hit the ground running, we could probably do it in about a week and leave Boy Scouts of America but leave it a shell 
And an awful lot of the Baptist churches in town will probably follow us from the from the scoutmasters that I'm talking to, that I'm talking to. That's right. I'm so so the possibility that's what I'm saying. There are a lot of possibilities, and I actually sent an email. I received a very interesting meal email from a man that I that is a member of the church and very active in in the the governing councils of the local council of the Boy Scouts of America. And I said, what do you think is about to occur? And here is the here's the the core of his of his email back to me. He said, Brother Hinkley, let me just give you five points. Number one, trust the prophet. Number two, judge not that you be not judged. Number three, love the sinner but not the sin. And that's basically what he's what he said. So I, I don't know. Is there, is there a possibility of some contention, for instance, if the church decided to stay? There, there's a possibility. There are some very hard, strong feelings on this issue. But aren't we saying mixed messages when we allow gays into the church? Because we love them. We, we, so we, we love. We love those that. Boy Scouts are feeling mixed messages. Well, that see, see, now you're talking about the stuff that I'm talking about. You're going to have some very strong feelings on each side. And it's these kind of things that we can say, all right, if we decide to do one thing or another, there's going to be some, some schisms here. And it's like, can we follow the prophet, even if we have some personal feelings one way or the other? And this is one of those watershed moments where I think, I think that could occur. Though it might be very, might blow over not a big deal, but the possibility. Yeah, but if they're morally clean? Yeah. If they aren't, if they, if they take upon themselves a partner, they lose their calling, right? If they're, if they're acting out, yeah. if they're acting immorally, but, if, but can, you be, can you be gay and, and, have, a, and, and have callings? And absolutely, because you have same-sex attraction and you're struggling, but you're staying morally clean. Okay? That's what I'm saying. There are feelings and attitudes and traditions that we're smacking up against. Jess? Um, you know, Isaiah is quite clear what he saw in the last days. Anybody who was worthy got to go to the temple. Yes. He's very, very clear on that. It's just when someone has that attraction and are open about the attraction, even if they're living the lifestyle, the difference is you know what, what sins they're being tempted with. Yeah. But you don't know what sins I'm being tempted with because I'm not going to tell you. Right. So uh, all, all I'm saying is I don't know, but I'm, I'm saying but what I what I actually have over the weekend is a growing sense that there are some very strong embedded feelings, and this is going to cause some reaction within the church. This is one of those moments, guys. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Well, and that. And so there's a possibility, that is one of the options for the church that says, individually, our units will decide not to do that, while other units are. And then I've got scoutmasters going, yeah, but we'll be camping next to troops that, that do it. How do we... All I'm saying is, trust the prophet and listen, and listen closely here. Yeah. 
Yeah, okay. All right, so, but, but okay, now, let, let me stop for a second. Can you get, can you see how apostasy could have occurred in her? Do we trust the prophet? Uh, Wilford Woodruff would say there was a point in Kirtland in his estimation that only 20 people in Kirtland uh, no, he said 20 people on the face of the earth still believed that Joseph was a prophet. That it had shaken their faith because it was tied to the money and the bank and they lost their life savings that it was such a that they had to really then say what is my testimony? Do I believe this? That I believe he's a prophet or not? And if I do, then I, then I follow. Well, there's also a kickback against the youth using their iPhones and the internet at church for scriptures. Yeah. Online, there, there's really strong feelings. On both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Now, l- l- let me just as a, ahead of that. Let me just say then, because this this verse, "Be thou humble, and the Lord thy God shall lead thee by the hand." This was directed specifically to Thomas B. Marsh. A little history on Thomas Marsh. Uh, Thomas Marsh uh, came into the church through his uh, willingness to serve in a variety of directions, became the president of the Twelve. Um, and, president, and, and President Marsh uh, and everything that he was doing was right on path, but he's going to be told... Uh, part of where he struggled, and it's right there. Verse 7. Let thy habitation be known in Zion. Remove not thy, thy house. I, the Lord, have given a great work to thee to do in publishing my name among the children of men. And verse 7. Among many nations. Brother Marsh began to struggle when Joseph called brother to go serve in England. And hadn't consulted Brother Marsh because Brother Marsh was on a mission in Missouri. He comes back to Kirtland to find out that members of the Quorum of the Twelve were on their way to England and he hadn't directed it. And he, he took some umbrage at that. I'm supposed to be the president of the Twelve. That's my call where they go. Joseph says, I have the keys. I'm the prophet. I get to do those kind of. No, I'm the Quorum. You know, these are equal quorums, remember? And he's fighting against that. So he struggled pride-wise. And then we know this, and then we know very well the story of, of the milk strippings in Missouri. Right? That they had an agreement between the Marshes and another family to trade the cow back and forth. We had one cow between two families. And, and what we're going to do, because the cream is where we get the strippings which is the cream as the, the butter, right? So the way we'll work it out is today you get the milk but we get the strippings. Tomorrow, we get the milk, you get the strippings. We'll just trade off. And Sister Marsh believed that the family they were working with had taken the milk and the strippings. And so she was upset, and so she took the milk and the strippings the next day. Uh, she was called on the carpet for it. She didn't like the answer she got. She took it to the bishop, who said, no, you were in the wrong. She then pulled in Brother Marsh, and he, was, he took umbrage to the fact that she had been questioned, didn't like what the local council had said, took it to the first presidency, took it to Joseph, who said, no, apparently from what I know, she was in the wrong. And then from that, then they then left the church. 
Yeah. And, and that this is That's right. And then he's being warned all the way along. Now, let me just tell you, sometimes we don't know the rest of the story, though. Uh, one of the, what, and when I was in college, one of the uh, gifts that I got for my for birthday from Cindy, my birthday, was uh, a journal that I really kind of longed after uh, by the name, from a guy by the name of Wandel Mace. Wandel Mace had been... Uh, had, had joined the church in New York City, was one of the, the prime shakers, and he was an inventor. And he, he helped invent a streetcar in, in New York City. Wandel Mace was a genius. It was Wandel Mace who, would, who blacked out the, the uh, in Nauvoo, blacked out the windows of, of, of the Nauvoo Temple, as much as it had been built, so that they could overhaul a, a cannon that they had actually dredged up in New Orleans, brought up the river to help defend them against the mobbers that were attacking after Brigham Young had left. They were down there, they refitted this, Wandel Mace refitted this cannon, and, and in the Battle of Mulberry Street, when the mob was coming down Mulberry Street to attack the saints, Wandel Mace whips out this cannon that they have, that they have refurbished and starts firing it off. And that was enough to slow them down and get some people across the river um, uh, to the other side. Uh, it was Wandel Mace who uh, Brigham Young, when hearing that Wandel Mace uh, finally showed up in the Salt Lake Valley like 1855, like 10 years after the Saints, Wandel, uh, Brigham Young literally threw his hat in the air and said, Hurrah, hurrah, hurrah for Wandel Mace! He's slow, but he made it. <laughs> Wanda Mace had an, just an incredible story. Uh, love the journal of Wanda. Now, what, what, what makes Wanda Mace so valuable to us in church history also? Wanda Mace, went on a very cold, rainy night uh, in, I want to say winter quarters. I might be wrong on that. Um, cold rainy night gets a knock at the door and he opens the door and there standing in in the doorway is a shivering man drenched Wanda May says come in by the way who are you and the man said my name is Thomas Marsh Mormon Apostle I've had, a, I've had a seizure tonight. I'm afraid I'm going to have another one. Can I come in? And Brother Marsh and, and Brother May says, I know who you are. Please come in. They take care of Brother Marsh. Uh, he does have more seizures that night. He's very ill. He's very broken down. Uh, and they finally kind of nurse him back to health. And then Brother Mace said that... Uh, Brother Marsh says, I have a request. I'm afraid that I'm dying. I don't care if you have to baptize me in a sheet. Don't let me die outside the church. Brother May said that a, a day or two later they happened to catch one of the brethren on their way to a mission going east. And said we have Brother Marsh here. And he wants to be with 
for the race was baptized. marshal back into the church. Made preparations to make it out to Salt Lake and, and died shortly. He finally left. He finally left his wife. He was on his own. Uh, he'd kind of been wandering out for years and realized the extent to which, as a former president of the Cornwall, felt, felt everything that he was. He finally came back. Um, but he recognized his fall, and he had a chance to preach to the saints kind of one last time, really, kind of. And we're, we're indebted to Wanda Mason's journal for the final story. That's why when we come back to all of this, and I read, Be thou humble, and the Lord thy God will lead thee by the hand and give the answer to thy prayers. Brothers and sisters, in the midst of our follies, we, it, for... Sometimes we sin, sometimes we transgress, and sometimes we just, for all the best intentions, we do dumb things. The Lord consecrates that to our good. If our hearts are good, and He wants to help us, and sometimes deep repentance comes, but the Lord will be there and bless us and lead us by the hand. We will let Him do I buried my testimony that these were men of God. They were very, they were very, Human, but they were led and God guided and directed and lifted above themselves, as will you be if you will let them live. And I'll be back with you in Jesus. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you as thy sons and daughters, so grateful for this opportunity which has been ours too. Spend some time looking in the scriptures, looking in our hearts, and sharing with one another. We would ask thee to soften our hearts to the peaceable things. We would ask thee to help us feel thy great love. Put all of our trust in thee. We want to be a blessing. We want to touch the lives of others for good. And we, we pray and we seek to do this this week. We pray for our loved ones. We pray. That as we learn and grow, get stronger spiritually, that we can lift and enlighten those around us. We pray for all the missionaries in the world. We pray for their safety. And we pray for their success. We pray that they will be led to those that are pure in heart. And this is our prayer. And we say the name of the Lord Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Have a good week. When Marsh is led, we God be